you know, I treat the janitor with the same respect as I treat the CEO. And, you know, that 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 to me is 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 a definition uh, of character. That's Scott Collins, the president and CEO of Facilities Management Services, who suggests his company's intention to incorporate its stakeholders, well, has led to its success. Thank God I was a um, literacy and rhetoric major. I wouldn't have understood what it meant to be $800,000 in debt, losing hundred grand a year with no operating capital. So uh, that's, that's what I walked into. Wow. Uh, but what I had with me, uh, despite that, was this sort of uh, uh, belief and value system that my, my dad had instilled in me. And that is, you know, you know just be good to people. And so I, I just sort of rolled with that and went with that. And it was an intuitive approach to business. And that's how I started. And welcome everyone to episode 34 of the Relators Podcast. And on this 22-minute listen today, you're going to get to hear from Louisville, Kentucky's very own Facilities Management Services, who just wants to say that janitors can be leaders too. Take a listen. All right, let's get going here. Let's start off in five, four, let's see, three, two, one. And we're back in business live coming to you from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Scott Combs, the president and CEO of Facilities Management Services. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, except that, you know, it's cold and snowy here in Kentucky. And we, we don't take kindly that, you know, because, you know, we don't know what to do when it happens. Basically, everything shuts down. Right, right. Well, yeah, you can't you can't see the blue grass when uh, when the snow comes down. That's exactly right, and all the horses trip. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, Scott, um, your company, Facilities Management Services, has just been ranked uh, in the top 100 impact companies of 2019 by Realtors Magazine, and that's what we're going to kind of talk about today, um, and, and kind of why your company is on this li- the list. So, the first question I got to ask is, um, if I'm walking on the street and I see you with a nice turkey always facilities management polo on and I ask you what is facilities management how would you explain it to me facilities management is a, a cleaning company that take care of our people take care of your people and I will yep. say uh, you know as growing up the one thing that my dad instilled into me uh, was while I was on student student government I'll go back a ways when I was a student government the most important thing he says well Kevin who's the most important person in the school and I said I don't know the principal he said no the janitor the janitor is yeah. always the most important person because the janitor is going to let you in at night when you need to do something um, so how important are the people at facilities management services to you yeah. So it's interesting that you said that we, you know, uh, as you'll recall, and I'm sure most of your listeners will, you know, uh, fairly recently, uh, our prodigal son passed away, uh, Muhammad Ali. And that was a, a big national deal. And we had quite a number of events, you know, honoring his life and the amazing man he was in terms of social justice and, you know, the humanitarian aspect of him not only being the greatest. Uh, so uh, we were we were honored to be chosen to be part of that festival. And uh, it, it just you know, lining it up with what you just said that, you know, the big sign that we made for that was. You know, I treat the janitor with the same respect as I treat the CEO. And, you know, that 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 to me is is, is a definition uh, of character. Right. You know, and, and so you say that uh, my father instilled the same values in me as well. So, you know, the story of my company is that 
my former life, I was in academia. I, I was uh, working on a doctorate in literacy and rhetoric. And uh, my dad had bought a little janitorial company in Shelbyville, Kentucky in 1999. And he unfortunately passed away uh, shortly after he bought the company. And in May of 2001, I dropped out of the doctoral program in, at Kent State University and, and took over the cleaning company. Um, you know, there were some debts, you know, dad had bought the business in the height of the Clinton era, um, probably paid a little bit too much for it. I think if you had a pulse and you went to the bank at that point, you could get a loan, um, you know, and ended up, you know, dropping you know, almost $800,000 for the business. So thank God I was a, um, literacy and rhetoric major. I wouldn't have understood what it meant to be $800,000 in debt, losing a hundred grand a year with no operating capital. So, uh, that's, that's what I walked into. Wow. Uh, but what I had with me, uh, despite that was this sort of uh, a belief and value system that my my dad had instilled in me. And that is, you know, you know, just be good to people. And so I, I just sort of rolled with that and went with that. And it was an intuitive approach to business. And that's how I started. Interesting. Well, so you took it over um, and eight hundred thousand dollars of debt. And when was the, the moment? You know, there's usually always a time uh, when you realize this business could be profitable. This, this could really make it. Um, could you describe that moment to me? So last Thursday, I know I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there, 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 there were, there were a couple of different moments, but, I, but, but I think, yeah, I think an important one fairly early on was about four years into it. We had, so when I took over, we had about 30 employees, right? Um, so about four years later, five years later, we had grown to 200 plus. And at that point, I took all of my leaders out to the woods, uh, to, a, to a, a state park uh, for the weekend, uh, with the intention of simply trying to get an answer to the question of how did we go from 30 employees to 200? How did that happen? You know, um, most janitorial services never get up to a million dollars in revenue, um, you know, and we had, we had reached that at that point. And, um, you know, after much talk and open discussion, what we really arrived at was that it was because we cared about the people we work with. And we didn't know it at the time, but we were creating our core values. We didn't know that in, in that particular moment, but that's what we came up with. And, you know, so we sat there and we told stories to each other about moments where we had each other's back and how we helped each other and how that made the foundation of the company. Mm. So moving from that into, into that late Saturday and Sunday, we started saying, okay, well, if that's the magic, if that's the special sauce, how do we, how do we intentionally make that part of our business? How do we incorporate mm. that into policy and procedure and, and the way we run our business? And that was a pivotal moment to where we said, okay, you know, if this is what made us this successful, how do we take this forward? And, and, and how's it going to allow us to be more profitable and to be a financially viable business? and to continue holding on to those values that evidently we hold dear. Mm, interesting. So when I'm trying to explain to people what FMS is, um, how would you describe um, when you say impact, when you think of social impact, when you think of your values now, how would you describe how FMS is different than a, a standard uh, janitorial service company? Sure. Um, well, you know, in Kentucky, 
the idea of uh, being a public benefit corporation, we were the first in Kentucky and also being a B Corp, we're one of only six in Kentucky. Mm. So that in and of itself, from a geographical perspective, we're unique in the fact that we, you know, uh, have an, an, an intentional business model around a social mission that we're measuring. Now, here's the thing. When I went around the state of Kentucky, helping to get the public benefit corporation legislation passed, it got shut down twice in Kentucky previously. And I worked with our state rep, Jerry Miller, um, Republican, uh, who really latched on to trying to get this legislation passed and found us as we were wrapping up our B Corp um, certification process. And, you know, we were a blue collar company and our message resonated across the state. So we were able to get that PBC legislation passed. But um, even at this point, I think we only have six or seven. So the idea, what I'm expressing here is that we're unique in a geographical perspective. Now we're working on that in a couple of different ways that I'll share with you later, I'm sure. But uh, also in the industry, we're the only janitorial service that is that is a B Corp. Um, so the industry is uh, sort of catching up when it comes to this. Now you see a lot of janitorial services that are intuitively doing the right thing, right? That are, that have good hearts, that try to take care of their people and, and, and are aware of the struggles of their communities and trying to help how they can, but they're, you know, haven't really moved into a space where they're clearly identifying what their social mission is, hmm. creating programming, coming up with expected outcomes, measuring those outcomes, and really incorporating that, you know, measuring those outcomes the same way they're measuring their operational efficiencies and profitability. So nobody's moved into that more, in, I shouldn't say nobody, but there's not as many that have moved in that sort of intentional phase. Uh, so that does uh, make us unique. So you're intentionally now trying to instill those values and increase them. How do you, like you say measurement, how do you measure, say, like an environmental or societal impact? Sure. Well, that's the million dollar question, right. isn't it? Uh, we're working on that in a lot of different ways. So, you know, in the beginning, <clears throat> what it was is simple metrics around how many people, you know, participated in this program. You know, uh, how many people uh, signed up and participated in a Fresh Stop Marketplace where we had our employees come and pick up two weeks worth of fresh fruits and vegetables, enough for a family of four, um, you know, on payday Friday. And that we heavily subsidized that. And then we, you know, expanded that to where there were educational moments, teaching folks how to cook the food and why it's healthy for them. Uh, so how many people participated in that? Um, then, you know, you move into a more sophisticated um, measurements where you're starting to ask questions like, <clears throat> Did your participation in this program make you more likely to clean the building better or refer an employee to work at FMS? And then you move even further into more sophisticated metrics around, did your participation in this program, you know, uh, lead you to eating healthier at home, lead you to your children uh, eating vegetables on a more regular basis? So gathering those sorts of data uh, is is an important component and is an important part of the evolution of, of what I would call that more intentional approach to doing good. Hmm. So have you found that, I guess a lot of uh, social entrepreneurs, a little bit different, but more social entrepreneurs I interview, um, having that double bottom line societal and environmental values way over their profit has actually um, uh, lowered their profit margins just because they have higher costs. Um, uh, have you found that by just instilling these societal and environmental principles, it has increased your profits? So the answer to that is yes. Uh, and I'm going to put an asterisk by that because 
what this way of doing business essentially is, is it, 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 the, the essence of this way of doing business calls for a paradigm shift in, in terms of the way we think about capitalism. Um, it is not a, a, a business model that is going to yield that quarterly return. You're not going to see that immediate spike in profitability. What you're going to see is you're going to see sustainable relationships with customers and your community and your employees that is a more long-term trajectory that I think is more sane uh, due to the stability of it because the relationships are based on values and beliefs. So, uh, it, yes, it leads to more profitability um, and it's, it, it, it takes more time. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's it's fascinating times because we we are seeing we are interviewing all these companies that um, have that same mindset, that long term vision, that long term thinking, um, and and that's what we try to highlight in Real Leaders Magazine. So what I'll ask you next is, uh, what would you say your definition of a real leader is? Uh, that's a great question. You should have given me that one before, man. Um, <laughs> it's on the spot. You got to be uh, real with it. <laughs> so I, I, the definition of a real leader is somebody that truly understands that the idea of, of exchange should incorporate all the stakeholders, you know, including future generations, including, you know, the, the stakeholders that don't have a voice in that immediate exchange. Um, that's thinking uh, of creative ways to solve the social and environmental problems we have in this world uh, in a way that allows him or her to run a viable uh, for-profit business. So to me, a real leader is somebody that recognizes that businesses should take on the responsibility of a positive change in this world, and they're doing it effectively while running a viable for-profit company. And they're doing it out of, from their heart. That's a, to me, that's where it's got to start. You know, it, 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 yeah, that's where it's got to start. Well said. And, and we're trying to highlight more leaders like you to grow that awareness and, and, you know, bring on more leaders as well. But Scott, you talked earlier about a paradigm shift. Um, and for this long term um, thinking to really uh, come to fruition and, and a paradigm shift in, in capitalism itself, um, <laughs> what's it going to take and how long are we thinking until the shift is going to occur? Wow. That's a great question, too. What's it going to take? You know, it's well, you know, first of all, maybe talk about how we see it happening. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's exciting to me. Right. You you watch the Super Bowl this year, this past year, you know, not this year, it's getting ready to happen. But last year and you notice that, you know, six out of 10 commercials that were in the Super Bowl highlighted the social missions of those companies, right? So that tells me that people that have much larger budgets than I do and have much more sophistication around understanding consumer consciousness are making decisions that highlighting the social mission of the organization is what we want to do with our million dollar, you know, 30 second spot. So to me, that says something, you know, people are seeing that this is a movement, right? And then you see the buy local movements all across America, you know, people paying attention to who they're buying from that matters in that way. Um, And then, of course, you know, you get all the data around the millennials that show you, you know, the largest generation in America wants to buy from companies that are, you know, so having a positive social or environmental impact, and they want to work for companies that that are doing the same. So what I would say to that is that the wave is coming. Um, now, I live in Kentucky, and what, what, what we're trying to do is not come in 50th in this. So, you know, our goal here is to really create a network at the state level, 
of this type of thinking and this, uh, these types of businesses and to affect some of the change that aren't necessarily unique to Kentucky, but maybe are a little bit more prevalent. Uh, you know, things like opioid addiction uh, in, in coal country and, um, you know, violence in, in some of our cities. Uh, but, you know, we we're, we're trying to create a sort of a, a, an infrastructure of like-minded companies with the intention of eventually uh, collecting impact data and convincing our legislation to make uh, Kentucky friendly to these sorts of businesses. Uh, so in putting a timeline on it, it's hard to do. Uh, I can tell you that uh, every year that goes by, it's going to get a little better. Interesting. So this is part of the, legis- the legislation that you're working on currently. So you're bringing together what you just said. You're bringing together all these different minds and all this impact uh, data, driven data and coming up with a solution. And, and part of that's definitely difficult to figure out. But Scott, you mentioned in that last uh, statement that uh, people are becoming more aware and they're spending big budgets and, and conscious consumers and, and conscious employees want to work for companies like yours. What are you looking for in someone that applies to your company? Uh, so uh, it goes back to, to heart, right? I'm looking for somebody that's in it for the right reasons. Uh, you know, I let other people figure out the technical part of it in terms of skill sets. Uh, I like to uh, find people. I, you know, we can train people. Right. I can't train somebody to believe that it is the responsibility of a business to make the world a better place. I can't train somebody to and the true felt is as we go about doing our business. Those things seem to be something that was created much earlier in their lives. Uh, so I look for that. I look for people that 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 are passionate about these sort of things um, that are perhaps maybe another way of setting it um, are compassionate or maybe another way of saying it are uh, not completely consumed with with self. Mm, Definitely. Well, so from people that want to join a company like yours to people who want to start a company on their own like yours, what advice would you give to, um, say, your 20-year-old self? Oh, my gosh. How long's the show? (laughs) Um, (laughs) What advice would I give to my 20-year-old self? Oh, my gosh. Let's see. Don't date her. Um, let's see. <laughs> um, awesome. uh, oh, that okay. 20 year old self. I, I guess one day we'll just go with this. Business doesn't necessarily have to be bad. At 20 years old, I was convinced that capitalism was the root of all evil and that mega corporations were the reason for uh, so many of our societal problems and very much anti, you know, I, you know, I decided I wanted to be, uh, you know, I worked to become a musician and then eventually a writer and then to teach college. And, you know, so uh, I, I had that view and I would tell my 20 year old self that, you know, that's that's not accurate, that it does not have to be that way. And in fact, you know, if you see it that way. You know, go. It wasn't written at that time, but go read. Uh, you know, the first uh, couple chapters of, of John Mackey's book, Conscious Capitalism, and look at you know the ways that 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 capitalism, when it's working well, uh, can create some of the most magnificent things you know in our in our society, and that it doesn't have to be a zero sum game. It doesn't have to be I win, you lose. Uh, so maybe I would tell myself that. Well, we're, we're reading that book uh, right now. We're trying to trying to de- 
explain the message to more people along the way. Um, and, and now, uh, lastly, the, the last question I want to ask is, so this is the advice you're giving to somebody. And, uh, for someone who's 20 and they're, they're listening to the, this advice to say, well, what's, what's your favorite example? What's, what example of, of you actually having an impact as a business? What's your favorite story that you'd probably share with them? Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, look at the last year or two and you and you look at our social mission our overall social mission is to provide access and opportunity for our 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 team members and to help the communities where they live thrive that's an overarching mission and then what we do is we get together every two years at that same leadership retreat we still do every year um we don't go to the same place but we uh we still do it every 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 year and and then we think about the ways that we're going to implement that what programming are we going to create and what outcomes are we going to expect so what we did in the last couple of years was really around this sort of global uh, social mission offering. So, for example, like I explained before, any employee that wanted to participate in that fresh stop marketplace to get those fresh fruits and vegetables could sign up and they could come and get those uh, things every every two weeks. Right. So what we've moved into now and it has me really pumped up is a model to where we're we're, we're working together with nonprofits before we have sold a customer. So we partnered, for example, with a nonprofit in Louisville called Choosewell. And what Choosewell does is they help mothers who are in recovery that have children that are under two years old. And these are women that are trying to get back into life in, in a lot of ways. So the thinking was, hey, what if we partnered with, with Choosewell and found a values-aligned customer and said, hey, let us come and clean your building with these with these women. My company will overcome the barriers of, of having a job and of transportation. So uh, in, interestingly, our, our public transportation company uh, literally gave us a van to help pilot this program to make this work. So we would own that piece of it. The nonprofit would own the piece of continuing their program of support around addiction and esteem building and all the things that she's doing in a wonderful way. And then the customer would pay a bit of a premium. We would lower our margin to where we can pay for a fee for the nonprofit. So the nonprofit has to have money to, 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 to perform their services, right? So, and this is all transparent. So we put right in front of the customer, this is how much FMS is going to make. This is how much is going to go directly to the nonprofit. And these are the outcomes we're hoping for. And you know what? We're going to tell this fantastic story when this works. So love the concept. And so we actually started this. Uh, this this contract, this program started at the beginning of January. And we're really, really excited about it because it solves so many problems. In my business, one of the biggest problems is turnover and getting people to be committed to their jobs. So now we have employees that are really embedded in something larger than, than just going into work and taking out the trash, mm. right? And then the nonprofit now has a sustainable revenue source that's distinct from the charity basket at the end of the year. It's related to a service. It's related to something different than just a grant or, or somebody writing a check. It's related to a, a service that's being provided. And then the customer gets a better product because this is a whole program and these folks are getting support in so many different ways that they come to really feel stronger about the customer, the building that they're cleaning. So I'm really excited about this model. And we're in conversations with with several other uh, customers and nonprofits to sort of implement this as we move along. 
fascinating. That's absolutely fascinating, especially to hear a, a real life story and case study about how bringing, like you said, your employees around a, a core purpose has translated to happier customers. Um, Scott. Thank you so much for your time today and coming on the show. It was great uh, speaking with you and learning about um, all the good things that Facilities Management Services is doing um, to be a force for good. And folks, you can see more leaders and more stories like Scott's. Um, and pick up your by pick up your magazine today. It's it's on new stores today, new stands around North America, uh, Whole Foods, Huts News, Barnes and Noble, and airport lounges around North America. So go around there today, pick up a copy, and see how you. You can be a force for good. For Scott Collins, I'm Kevin Edwards telling you all to always keep it real. Thanks, Kevin.